It's never easy to find the bright side of a global pandemic. However, if you're looking for the bright side, consider this is the seventh episode of the Tail Lights podcast that I put together in 11 days. We have many more to come in the upcoming week. However, today it is an honor to have the opportunity to interview Coach Scott Hippensteel of Lockhart. For nearly three decades, Coach Hippensteel has been the man leading the Lions cross-country team and distance runners in Lockhart. I hope you find yourself enjoying this interview as much as I did conducting it. And once again, just like yesterday, Lola, uh, the McCall parrot here at my cousin's house, she does get a little fired up at times, so you'll hear that and and some other noises and stuff. That's just Lola being Lola, and that's just the way life is down here during the coronavirus quarantine um, in Matagorda, Texas. So enjoy the interview. It's always great talking to Coach Hippensteel. If you find yourself enjoying this episode of the Tail Lights Podcast, please take the opportunity to rate us five stars and write a review if you can. Thanks for tuning in to the Tail Lights Podcast. I'm Eric Dormalin, and this morning I'm joined by Lockhart Cross Country Coach Scott Hippensteel. Coach Hippensteel, how you doing? I'm doing good, but of course we are, we're living through uh, history and some uncertain times today. Yeah, no doubt about it. Speaking of history, uh, Coach, the question I always like to start off with is, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Uh, it's a good question. You know, not one that you get asked very often, but of course, one everybody likes to answer. So I grew up in uh, northeastern or north central to northeastern Indiana. Uh, I basically grew up surrounded by cornfields in every direction for 50 miles. Um, the uh, nearest town was a town of 200, and uh, that's where I went to elementary school. I ended up, my, my elementary school merged with four other high schools, and I ended up graduating from a, a town, uh, a school called Manchester High School in North Manchester, Indiana. It's a school that ended up graduating about 115 kids. And uh, so my, my mom was a school teacher, and my dad was a uh, farmer. And so my, my dad's ancestry, they were all farmers. And my mom, she was actually from Northern Michigan. And so, um, you know, they were in the logging industry. And then my, my mom's father, my grandfather on her side, he owned a gas station at one time and uh, a bulldozer and uh, did some work like that. My grandmother on that side was a, a nurse. And then of course on my dad's side, everyone was farming and so uh we're you know tied up into agricultural stuff yeah what did you do for fun there growing up i mean besides work obviously i would assume <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the fun thing was uh you needed to to play sports so you could get away from all the work yeah uh, so i as a eighth grader my dad bought a place to raise some hogs and there were about 200 pigs that we had out there and at one time we got up to several hundred head of hogs on different places and uh, I, I didn't do track that spring and my dad told me he said uh, well you know you could you could have been going to track practice but you decided to come to work so the next spring I we had a quick technical difficulty we got fixed and we got right back on track working on the farm was a lot less fruitful for a young man who could get medals at a track meet so you decided to go back into the world of track huh well i i really um like just athletics and 
you know, it's interesting when you're, you grow up in a small rural area, you get to be the bigger fish in the smaller pond. And so I, I participated in everything. I did baseball, basketball, football, track. We played hockey on our pond. Uh, literally sports were our life. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was work, but you know, the other thing I love to do is sports. So it just made sense that I would hang out and, and do sports. And, uh, so that's how I got involved in track and cross country in high school. How big was your, I know you said that there was like only like the nearest big town had 200 kids, but how big was your overall high school that you were at? My, My high school had 350 students. Okay. But we had a we had a really good coach. Uh, mm-hmm. His name was Richard Miller. He passed away about four years ago. And um, even though we only had a small high school, we had we my senior year we ran the uh, four by eight hundred in seven minutes and fifty two seconds. Um, wow. We we probably had um, you know in cross country we pro- we had five guys that could break sixteen forty. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the, you know, one of the top ten, top ten best uh, schools in Indiana out of a school, a state of 420 high schools where everybody competed against each other. So, being even though we were rural, we were, I was fortunate to have a really good high school coach who really knew what he was doing, and uh, that kind of that kind of laid the foundation for me to run fast. Gotcha. Yeah. And so as, as you're wrapping up high school and everything, uh, you're going to find yourself at the University of Texas. How does that come about to be? Well, I ended up, um, there was a meet in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where uh, I didn't get to run. I was the alternate. But um, the coach from UT came to the meet, and uh, there were other coaches there, and they were recruiting guys. And my, my high school coach said, you know, you need to go talk to him. And. At the time, there were actually that day I, I talked to the coach from Wisconsin. I'd already uh, talked going talked about going to Purdue and Notre Dame, and so it ended up. Um, I I I liked the UT coach, and we uh, talked downstairs. There was actually a it was weird. There was a a tornado warning, literally a tornado on the ground like ten miles away, and so I talked to the coach downstairs under the stadium, and uh, he. His name was James Blackwood, and he he offered me like books, tuition, and fees. And uh, I, I talked to my parents about it because um, I just thought it was a good opportunity to go someplace that was a little bit further away. And uh, so I ended up going to UT, and uh, you know that's that's how I got there. What were your first impressions of uh, Austin? Uh, so you know, again, the only. The only larger city that I had to compare to, really, that I went to was either Indianapolis and Chicago. And so Chicago was really big. And so it made Austin feel kind of kind of small. Yeah. But I was glad that I went there because at the time it was a good time to come to Austin when it wasn't really a big town. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you get there, and is, is Coach Blackwood going to be there the whole time you're there? Or... Uh, actually, actually he was, and, uh, the head coach, coach Price was only for two years. Uh, he ended up passing away about my senior year at UT actually. Okay. Yeah. I just, I I usually try to ask a question like that, you know, in case you have any good advice with athletes on, on how to deal with change and a, and a head coach, you know, and things. And obviously Lockhart has not dealt with change in a long time, uh, which (laughs) is to their benefit. 
but um, looking at uh, your your overall running experience there at UT, how would you rate your your track and cross country experience there? Well, I was blessed to have, to have had the opportunity to go to UT and be a part of the uh, program. Uh, unfortunately, um, I, I was injured. And so that made it difficult. I was fortunate that I transitioned into something else. I was a manager for two years, and then I worked in the uh, men's business office for a year. And um, so anyway, it all worked out. Uh, when, I, when I graduated from UT in 86, I got a job at Lanier High School coaching um, basketball and track and soccer. And, and uh, I was actually a permanent sub for a year. The next year, I went to Leander Junior High, I coached football, track, ba basketball. The following year, I saw that there was an opening in Lockhart. They were starting a soccer program. They needed track. They needed cross country, assistant football. It was everything. Because Lockhart at the time was in 1988, the fall of the school only had about uh, 700 students. So it was pretty small and rural. I went out there. I kind of liked it. Uh, had some success. And that's how I, I got there in state. Yeah, gotcha. What um, for for how long did you coach football for overall in your career? So I coached one year at uh, Leander Junior High, and mm -hmm. that was fun. Um, <laughs> my recollection that we didn't lose a game. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, uh, we weren't fortunate in basketball that year. Uh, <laughs> then at, at Lockhart, really, I was uh, just supposedly the assistant as a as a uh, coach one year. But mainly, I just focused on cross country, and uh, and I coached um, the soccer team, and I was an assistant with track at that time. Well, and the major reason I ask, you know, is because obviously you're coming from Indiana, so it's funny to hear you say you guys don't lose a football game, and then basketball doesn't go as well, because you know, that being the the Hoosier state and everything, uh, a lot of the people that I've had this opportunity to visit with, if they grew up. Um, you know, somewhere in the in the Midwest region or something that they didn't they didn't football wasn't the deal it is in Texas. So I just wondered, like, what what kind of a it's a crazy culture here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was very difficult to coach basketball because uh, none of the kids had any skills. Um, you know, it was an eighth grade team, and they were good kids and good athletes, but they never they never had any experience with basketball at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, football was the culture, and so um, yeah, it was a difficult go. We we got better as the season went, but man, you, you start out with kids that basically didn't know how to dribble, pass, shoot. They didn't have any fundamentals, and yeah. so I, I actually grew up in a town where in Indiana, where basketball was the deal, and it, it was the reverse of Texas, where basketball was everything and football just was a side thing, and. Uh, you know, in most of the high schools I've been experienced around here, it's just the opposite, of course. Right, yeah, absolutely. The, the saying in Texas, of course, football is king in Texas. And so we uh, we know how that goes, and, and and it's part of being here. I'm sure, I'm sure just like being in Indiana with basketball, you know. So every, everybody's uh, – uh, there's some states where hockey is a really big deal. You know, you alluded to playing that some. They're growing up in Indiana, but you get even further up north in some of those states, and they, they love hockey, you know. Uh, I, I work with a buddy that coaches lacrosse, and he, he says lacrosse is a huge deal up where he grew up. I'll have to take his word for it. Um, 
but uh, you know it's it's very interesting how how different uh, the priorities of various sports are throughout different states that you look at in the in the U.S. You get to Lockhart there, and and uh, how long is it before you guys start having some success in cross country? Well, I was very fortunate um, the first year. Of course, I knew nothing about the high school um, structure of cross country in Texas, and so um, I just struggled to find a meet and uh, we found about three or four meets. I literally uh, drove uh, four or five kids in a car and uh, we went to one or two meets in San Marcos and I remember driving to Bandera and uh, of course everybody knows about the district meet. By district I recruited and I have the picture that so I had 22 kids in the picture. Uh, of course the only emphasis I had was on the boys side of things but we ended up winning the freshman boys, the JV boys, and we won varsity by two points. And so that was kind of the beginning of, um, so we had immediate success and one year led to the next. And before you know it, we've won uh, district 22 years in a row. So, oh, wow. We, uh, you know, it, just, it started where we, we won the first meet by, you know, two points. And the next year we scored 15, and the next year we scored 15, and then it was game on because we were getting all the way to my third year we made state meet and we're fourth place and my fourth year we made it state meet and we're fourth place in both those years we missed getting third by three points so you know <laughs> immediately we had success i thought wow it's going to be easy we're going to win state right away and it actually took me it was my 10th year before we won state so uh, it, it was longer than I thought, but at least we we made it to state all those years, and uh, we're having success. So that's what kept me going. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. What what uh, what year did the twenty two year district championship streak uh, begin? Was that uh, eighty nine, uh, eighty eight? All of eighty eight. We started, and it would have ended in uh, twenty twenty oh nine. In mm -hmm. twenty ten. We ended up getting second by, you know, a point or whatever, two points. And it was the Smithson Valley who ends up getting um, getting second at the state meet. And uh, they had a, about three guys that were coached by uh, Chris Schrader, who's an outstanding coach. And uh, he, you know, these guys were tremendous. They beat us. And what was happening to us by 2009 10 we kept being aligned into districts where we were in class 4A, of course, which is now five. And we were aligned where um, we, we tended to be the one of the smallest 20 or so schools in 4A. And we kept getting aligned to these schools that were along I-35 that were big, bigger and bigger and bigger. For example, Alma Heights. Well, that's in the San Antonio, but... Church Clemens, Alma Heights, New Braunfels Canyon, New Braunfels, and so forth. Uh, in my earlier days, we were with smaller rural-type schools, and as we grew and grew and grew, the competition just became where it was the Bernie. We, we've been aligned with Bernie Champion for many, many years, uh, uh, Kerrville Tidy. We, we became one of the smaller schools, and um, we, we, it became a tougher go to be successful. Yeah, that that all those areas that you just named right there. There's a lot of uh, you know running rich 
types of uh, environments there that that are great, you know, provide a lot of great places to run, and and you got a lot of teams that are very successful in the Hill Country and Austin, both those areas. And Lockhart usually either seems like they get uh, shifted up there with those Austin schools or right over with the the San Antonio schools. And I mean that's especially you know over the 20 years or so I've been following it. It seems like it's. It's been a uh, the districts and stuff that you guys have gotten have been a lot, um, you know, uh, have gotten progressively more difficult. I don't know how your newest one turned out, um, but uh, you know, just actually, it's it's interesting. We 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 were aligned finally with who I think we should be aligned with because we were only about twenty miles from Austin, and most of our parents work in Austin. Many of them. Mm-hmm. And so we've been aligned with Austin for the first time, really ever, and uh, with Austin schools. And so it, it, this is going to be a good district for us as far as cross country and, and most of our sports. But um, yeah, it's the first time in like ten years that we haven't had Bernie Champion, Dripping Springs, Turville Tivy, Alamo Heights. We had Seguin, uh, again Clemens, New Braunfels, New Braunfels Canyon, those schools. Right. So, for us personally, it's uh, it's it's much it's much better for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was uh, going back through some of this, um, you know, of course, you guys have the the '98 team that wins state, and then you have the 2000 team that wins state. Yeah, I could have sworn you guys had an individual win state somewhere in that mix you know i was thinking either a tommy bond or you know uh uh uh, jason gould or a matt buner or a jose moctezuma i thought well i guess moctezuma probably ran a lot of the time with manzano and nobody was winning state but manzano at that time but um you know i just mean i I was kind of surprised to see that that there wasn't somebody and you could probably list even more if you'd like to that were sure. that, that kind of a caliber runner, and maybe they were second or third at some of these meets. I, I just pulled up the UIL archives while we were visiting to prepare for that discussion, and I know you've had a lot win it in track, so uh, that's harder to find, um, but uh, I, I'll let you elaborate on any of these runners because what a lot of people um, may not know, um, you know, is that wow, some of the guys that are going to come through there in the 90s and, and the early part of the 2000s, all the way up to Christopher West and Rory Tunningly, who do win state championships individually in cross country. I mean, you've had a lot of incredible runners go through there. It it reaches far back. Um, so uh, where to begin? Well, first of all, uh, at the state meet, we had a run where nine of ten years we were in the top three. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, our first time to get a medal at state was um, in 97. We were second. We lost to El Paso by about 25 points. Um, so we ended up, in those nine years, we went ended up um, winning state twice. We were state runner-up five times, and I guess we were state uh, third place uh, two more times. So those were the nine times we were first, second, or third in a 10-year period, nine times. The reason, so in 90, 97, of course, we went, uh, I wasn't holding anybody back, but in 98, Tommy Bond, I believe, would have won the state. But the school and its history of, I know this is our 113th year of football, but I think the school is a little bit older than that. We, um, in 98, I, I gave instructions to Tommy Bond 
to hold back with my other three guys who are really, really good and run together. And I told him with about a mile to go, you can, you can try to win, but until that moment, I'm not going to, I want you to hold, help these other guys win the state. I mean, because our school's never won in any sport. And if we're ever going to do it, it's today. And so he followed my instructions. He did, he, he did end up winning three state meets in track, but um, he, he, he listened to me and he held himself back. And with a mile to go, Randy Arias, who was an outstanding cross country runner, had gapped him by so much. And it was so muddy and so wet that Tommy, he went after him like crazy, but he ends up losing to him like by five seconds. Yeah. And so I've always felt guilty on the one sense that, you know, I held him back from winning the state meet, which he had won. But the fact that we won the state meet as a team, I thought meant more to, to what we were trying to do at the time. Um, and, and I did tell him that you had opportunities to win on the track. So, so Tommy, Tommy could have been a state champion. I had two other guys finish state runner-up. There have been five of them. No, five guys have been first or second at state and cross country. But um, I, I really felt like it just was more important to win the state meet as a team than to have an individual win that day. So uh, over the years, I've had 12 in individual state champions and as distance runners in the 800 mile, two mile and cross country. And I've had, uh, I think, uh, 17 or 19 finished second or third. Mm -hmm. I think second, something like that. So a lot of those times, like you saw, many times they, they were second place yeah. or third place and so forth. Right. Yeah, there's a, a, a lot of a uh, lot of really really close calls. Um, you know what? Uh, before I go to to some of the close calls, though, I don't want to gloss over too much. Like the the what was that first state championship team like? Because you know you said that's going to be the first state championship in Lockhart history, and so I, I can relate there. You know, I was on the on the first ever state championship of any sport there in Bernie, and it was. It was like it opened the door for a lot of things. I mean, this is what a lot of the coaches that I've interviewed from Bernie during that time have said, that once people saw us do that, it was like the sky is the limit in this place. And we started believing we could win in everything, which is incredible to feel like we had that kind of an impact. What, what kind of an impact did, did y'all's championship have on the school? And, and how, did it, you know, uh, how did it reach beyond just what you guys did, you know? Tell me, you won in 2003. What, what was your Bernie one? Uh, 03. 03, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, uh, Coach Fulkerson, obviously. We, uh, it, it, you know, being in the same regional in all those years, it was, it was amazing to me. And I'll never forget, uh, I'm just talking about Bernie now for just a second. It was on the same day in, I think, 2009 that Bernie Champion won the um, NXN National Meet. Mm -hmm. That was the same day that um, Tiger Woods' wife uh, attacked his car with the golf club. <laughs> and all the, news, all the news about Tiger Woods came out. It all unraveled that day. Yeah. And I was, I, was, I was standing and I was talking and I told this, a friend of mine, I said, you know, if I had to pick one of the two that's more unbelievable, I might pick that Bernie just won the national title <laughs> because it's yeah. really pretty improbable. 
because here's a school that pretty much, you know, um, I, you know, they were always, I, I think, driven by the fact that we'd done what we'd done and they were kind of around us and they were trying to become us. And I, I just felt like, man, not only did they break through, they just did the whole thing and it was just kind of improbable. Yeah, well, there's no doubt when we were, um, as we built up to that first state title, you know, the the image was already there that the monster in the room was Lockhart. And that's what we had to, you know, we had to figure out how we were going to overcome that monster. And, and I do, I feel like it had a lasting impact that kind of propelled that program, you know, trying to catch where you guys had been and everything. And, and, you know, and of course our region was, was super stacked with Tolosa Midway and Robstown and several other really quality programs that were doing things. But you, you guys were the definite monster under the bed, you know, for, for teams like us. And I mean, we, we, uh, we kept up with everything y'all were doing. Uh, we knew what was going on over there as, as much we could and how much we had to improve. And we thought about all those things and, I can't can't say that to young runners enough that might come across this podcast and listen to it, that you've really got to set those goals. You can't just expect good things to happen. You've got to say, look, these guys are capable of running an average time of 16 whatever, you know, 1630. We've got to be able to run 1620. How do we get there? We must do track. We must, you know, work to get better in that realm. And then it'll carry over to cross country. We must run in the summer between here and there you know, and, and it'll take care of itself. But, uh, there's no doubt. I, I would, I would agree that, that what, what you guys are doing right there has had a lot to do with what we became. So, um, you know, I, I can't remember the years exactly, but I want to say in 2004, we probably won regional and then you beat us at the state. Is that correct? You remember that, that would have been, yeah, that was uh, that was '04, but I had graduated uh, in the spring of '04 there, and so that was that next year when uh, Bernie pulled a, uh, what would have been considered, I think, as a bit of an upset. Well, I think we we might have beat them by like 12 points at regional, and then we lose by like I want to say six or 12 points at state, and you know you know how it is. It's one guy having a good day and one guy not having as good a day, and there there you go. And, so that happened with, and you, you fast forward to the year 2019, and that regional this year, Bernie and Lockhart, as we call them now, Bernie Champion and Lockhart, we still went one, two at the regional meet. <laughs> and we're talking over a 20 year period of time. Right. Actually, longer for us, we started uh, winning regionals in 1993. So, I mean, basically, I've had teams get first or second at regional over a 27 year, actually, I, I tried to figure this up. I think out of 28 times, I think we've been first, second, or third at the regional meet, something like that. I don't know. No. 28 times we've been in the top four or five at the regional meet, and and that's over a you know a 30-year period. So yeah. it's really difficult to continue to, to do that. And this year, you know, we wanted to be Bernie, but, you know, they were just – better on that day, I guess, and uh, they were a tremendous team this year. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, of course, they've undergone a, a coaching change. Um, you know, over the years, you guys haven't uh, haven't had a, a coaching change. So your success from from all the way back there to where y'all are now, that's all that's all continuous. You haven't opened a new school in Lockhart. A lot of things have changed in Bernie, but one thing that hasn't is that they're still really fast. You know, because I think that that running culture again, it's ingrained. And, and when I say, too, that, like, our, our group wins that first state title, I don't think we do that if those groups hadn't been third there in Bernie, you know. And then we, we are the ones that, that wanted to get over that Lockhart hump, you know. We wanted to uh, get over the mountain, right? And so if the other teams hadn't been that close, I mean, and Coach Fulkerson talked about this when I interviewed him, it's, you know, it's, it's one group building on top of another, and that's what it's been for a long time. Their girls uh, won their first state championship in cross country this year, which is, uh, which is outstanding. Bernie Champions yep. girls did. And, and so it's good to see them finally get over that hump because they've been very close a couple times. But, oh, yeah, they, they, and they were really good this year. Yeah. The girls were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what did, uh, going back to the question, um, did did y'all state championship have an impact on Lockhart as far as other programs went, or did it kind of go? Sometimes cross country goes really unnoticed. I talked to a coach one time that told me that um, you know when we that we won in Ozona in 2013, and we had like 11 fire trucks waiting on us to escort us into town. The stadium was filled like there was a football game going on. You know, it was one of the craziest things I've ever been a part of. And I compared that with another coach I know from another school that won state that year. And he said, we had seven parents in the parking lot, (laughs) you know, so as many as he had kids. And sometimes that's just the case. I mean, I don't, you know. uh, You know, we, we didn't get the recognition at that time, like, like that. I mean, something was, in, of course, in the paper, and, and people were grateful, but it, it did, there, there are so many other things, so many other challenges in Lockhart that people have been, have faced over the years. Our demographic is, you know, uh, um, we have a lot of kids that come from situations that are difficult, to say the least, and so um, there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, there wasn't a fire truck or any of those things type, type of things happening. Um, the cool thing was we got a picture put up in the school and that was cool and it's still there and there's there's the one of 2000 what I've kind of always regretted you know the five teams that were state runners up or you know literally the 20 teams that won regional there's nothing there's not really something up there but in my coach's office that's pretty much all you got right but, you know one of the things that is lost here is from about 97 or 98 to about 2010 we also used our distance running strength and we at the same time we had some really good track coaches and so we had this culture of track that was really insane we went to regional uh eight straight years where we were first or second at regional and basically we won district 10 straight years in track and um at that time in 2000 there was a national power ranking which um that was done and uh we finished second only to the Woodlands in the United States in track. Um, we, we basically never lost a track meet for 10 years in a row other than uh, until we got to the regional track meet. We'd go to every single track meet and win for 10 years in a row. So um, it, we, we had a culture of track and cross country that was 
pretty amazing for about 10 years. In fact, I, I had a group of kids that came through who uh, every single season for their four years, the, the minimum they did was they all won districts for those four years on track and cross country. They, they pretty much won all the regional titles and we pretty much got first or second half state track meet for four years in a row, which, you know, Nate, and that was around 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Right. And a lot of that has to do with, um, and right now we have a football coach that's come in who's really, he's really geared up to do track as well. And he's really pushing track and he's pushing the assistant coaches. Now he's only been there a year. And in just one year, I can already feel what's happening is really impressive. And um, he did such a fantastic job in football this past year. And the same thing. I, I, I'm really regretting we didn't have a district track meet this spring because I think we might have won. And um, it's hard to tell, but we, we finally had guys running the relays and we had those other things to go along with our distance runners. And I uh, had, a, you know, this year I had a junior last year run 419 who's coming back. I had another guy ran 422. He's coming, he was going to be a senior. Um, we, we had a good track team waiting to happen this spring, but it just is probably not going to happen. So. Yeah, wow. That's that's unfortunate. That's kind of the um, you know a comment I keep hearing is that the cure can't be worse than the the virus itself. And I I hope um, I hope we're able to get something put together, you know, that doesn't also cost us a lot, you know, in doing so for these kids because they'll never they won't get the opportunity for track proms, graduations, and a lot of these things. And that's kind of a heavy thing to be, a very, it's a very heavy thing to be robbed of in, in your young years, I think. But uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical professional. I have my own opinions on, on a lot of it, um, looking at just numbers. Uh, but I, I think this is going to be looked back upon as a gross overreaction, and, and it is, especially if it's not corrected before like June 1st and we don't get back to some real life here in the next few weeks. But again, I'm no medical expert, so I just keep most of that on my Facebook posts, you know, or <laughs> anyways. But yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's unfortunate to hear. I hope that we're able to salvage something and you guys get a chance to to really show what they can do there uh, on the big bigger stages like many of your guys have done over the past uh, de several decades, three decades, I guess. <laughs> so. so actually this interesting side stat, you know, I won districts in cross country in 98 or 88. I've won districts in the 90s, the 2000s, I won 2011. I, I need to win district next year to win the cross country district title in five different decades. Oh wow! But it's only it's only because of this rarity that I started at the very end of the '80s, and and if I can win, and and we we should win district this fall, so that'll be five decades to win a, a district cross country title. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat. Um, when you look at uh, <laughs> you know, we we hit on that '04 group that that finishes second, and it looks like looks like you guys have got a clear path to a state title there in '04. Um, you guys uh, win your second state title in 2000, so pretty quickly there after the 98 one. Was there anything different about the 2000 group or anything? Um, was one more uh, more special for any reason than another? Or, I mean, how, how does that, how do they line up in your mind? Well, you know, you, 
you, you got to look at the sequence here. So we were second in 97, and then we win in 98. And then in 99, we actually had, I thought, a better team. I end up with three guys who, who ran 413 in the mile by that next spring as their senior year. But those guys were all in cross country. They had all been in the top 10 the year before. And literally in 99, when we lost the state meet by six points, we had our number two guy, no, our number one guy or number two guy who the week before at regional was the regional runner up finishes our seventh man. And we end up losing. And it was honestly like a nightmare. It was, it was hard to, at that moment when I was younger, I was like 35 years old. Um, it was a nightmare to have lost. And so in 2000, there was no expectation of doing anything because really I was doing it with new guys. Um, Seth and Jose were just now sophomores and uh, we had a couple other guys who, and all of a sudden we end up scoring 40 points and winning the state meet again. And it was just, I mean, second place was like 97 points. I was like, oh my God, we just won by 60 points with the team I didn't even, you know, know about a year ago because we thought we graduated all our studs. Yeah. So to win in 2000 was crazy. 2001, we might have won again, but similar to right now, 9-11 occurred, you know, on September 11, 2001, and it completely shut us down. And for me personally, it was devastating what, what had happened. And I, I lost my motivation and we kind of fumbled through the end of the year and ran the state meet and got third, but it just, my heart wasn't in it because of everything that happened with our country. Mm -hmm. And then we come back to 2002 and we finished second and, you know, we were really tremendous and barely lost 2003. I graduated all my guys 2004 with the brand new team. As you know, we got second to you guys. Uh, 2005 was off. 2006, we get second place. I mean, we we were always competing, but you know, it's just you, every year you just try to put the uh, team together the best you can and see what you can come up with. Right. Oh, abs absolutely. And you know, the, the thing about it is, I, I everybody wants to win, right? We lost a district championship one time when I was out in Ozona. It would have been the only ever back-to-back -back district championship for the girls' track program in 40 years of history. We lost that, that uh, what should have been our repeat title by one point. And I could have lived with that if I felt like we had done our best. But you could just see the areas where it looked like we phoned it in and we just didn't get the job done here and we didn't, we didn't take it seriously enough. And those are the times when getting second to me is not good enough, you know, because you didn't do your best, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a lot of the time you can do your best, but you know, like in 2000, you feel like that that team kind of came out of nowhere in terms of you didn't think it was as a maybe as a done deal as the '99 team, right? Uh, that '04 team that won at Bernie. A lot of people probably thought they were done too. We would tell them all the time at practice. A lot of those guys, Danny Velo and David Wilson, and a lot of those that were the grade beneath me, uh, Joel Benavides, you know, uh, you guys won't even get out of district next year. <laughs> and you know, we we won by a large margin my senior year, and and we graduated seven of our uh, eight of our top ten. I want to say something like that. It was a pretty big number. You wouldn't have thought Bernie's going to bounce right back. 
but it sounds kind of like, you know, sometimes you've got your eye on what you see as the mountain. Like, I feel like our program had our eyes on what you guys were. A lot of those younger guys within your own program, they're wanting to be that varsity level. And you're not going to be on the varsity team at Lockhart or Bernie without getting a lot better. So when you get that group that comes up motivated, I mean, sometimes it can just come out of the blue like that. You, you know, when you coach long enough, you'll find like things happen to you that are very unexpected. Uh, and it can be both good and bad. Like you have teams that clearly underperform and that should have been great. And you have teams that clearly overperform. You thought that weren't going to be that good. You have the same thing with individual kids. And so, you know, sometimes the best laid plans just, they, they don't work out the way you think they will. And sometimes you just kept trying and all of a sudden it did work out and, and you were shocked by it. And so you really can't predict. My high school coach used to do something interesting. Before the season, he would put in, write, it, write down his predictions for the season, predict who would be ranked what at the end of the season. And he put it in an envelope and then at the end of the season, he'd open it up. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd read it off to us and, like, it was pretty interesting because, you know, you can be pretty far off. Kids can come from out of nowhere to get really good, and other kids can, you know, fall apart or get hurt or just, you know, in the same sense. Some some of winning is not just you're the best. It just happens you be better. You're just better than anybody else that was out there at that day. And yeah. if you'd been on another year, you probably wouldn't have been the winner because, I mean, I go back to – so in 2000, Juan Cardenas and, and Justin Schulke run 152.2 and 152.2. So like just fractions apart, 2.6 and 2.7. They, they don't even win state in 800. And yet I've coached all these other guys to the state meet. And Robert Ur won state, but he won in 154.8. Uh, I had other guys win state and – you know, Chris West ran a 420.4 in Win State, but we had other guys run 413 and 414, and they don't win state. Right. So, you know, you you're sometimes winning is not just that you're the best, but it's that there was nobody better than you that could beat you that day. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a very valid point. You know, you just have. And, of course, year to year, you have different conditions. You have different, uh, especially with, with cross-country. I mean, the track's always as firm as it's going to be typically. But uh, you do still, you have some years that are 90-plus degrees out there, and you have some that are, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they're still a little chilly. Uh, you have all kinds of different conditions there. But you're absolutely right. One of the conditions that also exists is what is the level of competition at the year you run, you know? Well, uh, the other thing that happened to us, um, so the five state runner-ups, and I think now we're at like three or four teams that have been third. Uh, I I start to lose track here. I know about four teams have been fourth at state and cross country. There's almost a- all the teams that ever beat us, maybe with the exception of like Bernie, have been different teams. Yeah. So it was only one team beats us once. Does that make sense? Like. One team, Wolfra Friendship, comes out of the blue and wins, and then we lose by a point, and we've never seen them before or after. We El Paso High did it. Um, there were 
Fabens, uh, uh, right? Fabens. Oh, my God. Fabens wasn't even supposed to be in 4A. They were supposed to be in 3A. Yeah. Stuff like that. And so, you know, it's you, it's, you, you know, you versus all those schools, and it's inevitable that, you know, one of the 240 is going to beat you, and yet all those years you're beating the other 238 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. It's, uh, it, it is, it's a tough thing to, I mean, and that, that's one of the things that I, I tell a lot of, uh, different guests that I'll interview. I mean, you know, s some people, you know, they'll win 20 state championships. It, it lines up for them or whatever. Uh, to me, to be in the mix, to be teaching kids, to be creating productive kids that are becoming good citizens that are having success, uh, you know, year in and year out and things. And, and you've done that at Lockhart. I mean, in a lot of ways, you do. I mean, there's no magic workout that gets you ready for the state meet. You know, there, there are factors, as you mentioned, because Ozona was uh, probably, I don't know, I haven't looked at Lockhart's exact economic disadvantage numbers and stuff, but over 80% of Ozona... Yeah, we're like at 85%. Yeah, it's 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 somewhere in the high, you know, somewhere in that 80 plus percent range of economically disadvantaged in Ozona as well. But it, it's so small out there and nothing happens. You know what I mean? Nothing happens in that town. Um, and so when something like that does happen, the town goes completely wild. Um, in, in Lockhart, you guys have a lot around you. You have some of the best barbecue on the planet, unless you're talking to Coach Barnett. Uh, who says that Luling had, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, it, it's just a bit of a different world. And I think sometimes at a bigger school too, it's harder for everybody else to get excited about the little things, you know, that are happening because the little things are so much further apart, you know, but oh, exactly. a lot of factors, a lot of factors involved there, but on the track, who's your first state champion that you had there on the track? Would it have been Tommy Bond? He probably, he, he might be. Um, you know, I got it all listed in my office, but yeah, yeah I think he probably won. He probably won the state title in uh, track. Well, the same day he would have won, he would have won the two mile and the mile in 97. That would have been a nice, you're talking distance runners now. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because that's another thing we too. You've had. We were close. We were getting guys there and getting seconds and thirds and so forth. Yeah. We just couldn't quite get over the top and get the guy to win. Yeah. You probably had though uh, individual state champions in at least three of those five decades that you will have worked in, which is another um, amazing way to look at it when you're thinking about individual guys that have gotten there to the to the highest level. And and you know of course as you mentioned you know you guys that ran 152 and and don't win it it feels just so unfair. One of the things that I really where I felt like as an athlete I just saw you as the bad guy you know there there at Bernie you're the coach of the team that we got to beat you know and and then when I became a coach and I went to the cross country coaches association clinic and you got up there and spoke I was like this guy is awesome I mean no wonder. No wonder his guys did so well. I mean, he's he's not that far off from uh, a lot of the you know the types of things like discipline and and expectations and and all those things that you have to have to have a winning culture. 
Will you say a little something to our listeners, kind of just about your philosophy balled up? You know, I mean, and you can go, you can go as long as you want, because it was great that day. I was, I was uh, very, very impressed with what I was hearing. It was no wonder to me the success in Lockhart was happening. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've tried to document. I, I have a big chief note notebook, and I write down every workout we've done over the years and so forth. And, and it's interesting to me that how much I've changed, how I do workouts and the different things. So I really know this. There's no way, there's no one way to coach a runner. There's a hundred ways you can coach a runner to run fast. Uh, you have to have the basics. So it's, to me, it's these other intangibles that I know that you remember me speaking about that I think are really super important. And, and I start with just the smallest things like the details of how we ride on the bus, how we stand at practice, how we, um, all the, the little things to me are, are the difference makers. It's the, you can go on the internet now and you can run these endless types of workouts, but in, in the end, none of that really matters unless you actually execute and actually you do the work and actually care about the process. So one of the interesting things I try to really emphasize is, I don't worry about outcomes. I don't think about winning the state meets or getting there. I just think about the process of training. And regardless of the athlete I have, we just do our best to train them as the best they can be. And we have to be disciplined with the approach. And it, you know, running is an investment. You're, it's, it's no different than investing in, 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 um, a mutual fund, say that's better example than stock market right now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we want to invest over a long period of time. We just keep putting the money in, and we hope we hope just like the stock market, we hope that over time we have a good outcome. But we we can't control every every dynamic. We just control what we can control. So it's really important to me that I read this from Steve Magnus recently. He said the most important thing a kid can do that he's he's found out over the years is show up to practice. So we're really big about this year. I literally only had about 12 kids running because again, I only can find 12 that are interested to show up every single day. And I'm not talking like when you want to, it's at a certain time, you have to be on time and we, we have to do it in a certain way, you know, be dedicated. If you're not dedicated, I think it's very difficult to be successful. And so I really, emphasize that we're there, we're on time, we were committed to the process. And if you'll do that over a number of years, you know, people overestimate how good they can get in a short period of time. What they always underestimate is this, how good you can get if you're, if you'll stick at it over a long period of time. If you'll stay at it over a long period of time, and I'm talking, so I just try to break running down to some really small things, but I, I really believe that any, uh, let's say you can get a kid who comes out of junior high who can run at 520, uh, a mile between five minutes and 520 mm-hmm. as an eighth grade boy. If he will run, and I don't care what he runs, but he, or the type of workout he runs, I'm just talking if he'll run on average about four miles a day through high school, he's going to become tremendous. He's going to get to sub 420. He's going to get a minute faster. As long as he will literally, he's going to need to run 340 days of 365 days a year, four 
miles or more, and he, he will develop a cardiovascular system enough that he is able to run a sub 420 mile probably. But has to have that consistency and that dedication and be and, and be committed. So it's the process. Forget talking about running 420 when you're a 520 guy. Just just talk about doing the workout every day and then let it happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, too, that's one of those things you could start to get yourself your head too fixed on certain numbers. Um, you know, and you, you definitely want to make sure that you're hitting those times that you need to be hitting in the workouts to get there and everything. But you, you also want to, you know, you want to remember that you enjoy this, you love this, and that's why you show up every day, uh, in the first place. So showing up every day and enjoying what you do and, and going through that process, I think you inevitably will find the success that you want. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to just get better with time. Time is the key element, and and you can't. Time is like aging wine; it makes it better over time. But people do they underestimate. They see a guy and they think if we work real hard for the next month, we're going to be great. <laughs> no, it's it's over the next 40, 46 months, because that's about how long you got to, from the day you start high school to you graduate. So it's that it's the use of that time that's really important. Yeah, yeah, no question. It's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> A lot like no. the like the New Year's resolution weight loss plans, right? It's it, well, uh, it exactly people people want it instantaneously, and it's really that that thought that it's inch by inch, life's a cinch. It's little 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 by little by little by little by little, and that's the hardest part about coaching too is you've got to continuously make that investment and that commitment because the moment you don't i i, I my metaphor is it's taking my foot off the gas gas pedal the moment i take my foot off the gas pedal in lockhart uh a few days later different things are starting to happen already i have to continuously be the one that controls the, the pace of the car because the moment I say, hey, you know what, let's just take a week off, I guarantee they'll do that. Yeah, it, it, it's a commission-based business. I told the kids um, when we were in school, however long ago that was now, I told them, you know, that, that the, the reality of tracking cross-country is you're going to do a lot of days of work, and then we go to meets, and you might get a paycheck you like if you've done the work the right way. However... If you have not done the work the right way, you're going to get a paycheck you don't like. And that's a lot like you know, a lot of jobs you can get out there if you're in the sales business and stuff. If you're not making it happen, if you're in a commission-based business, you know, when the time that the, the payday rolls around, the track meet rolls around, expect that, you know, that number's going to be something different than what you were counting on, no doubt. And, and, and a lot of it is coach driven in high school i've always believed this about athletics in high school a huge percentage of the success of a team is the coach uh, and i've used this number many times coaching in high school uh, outcomes of high school teams and coaching is like it's a, it's a much higher percentage of the coach in high school than it is in college and it's much higher in college than it is in the pros if you would have given me the 98 bulls chicago bulls you and I probably as assistant head coach, we probably still would have won about seven games. But 
if you give us a junior high, that's where coaching, the, the lower the level, the more coaching it happens, and the higher the level, the more athletes start to make it happen. Right. So that's what you see recruiting and recruiting and um, and drafting and so forth are so much more important as you get higher up because you have no choice. I only get to recruit and draft from the Lockhart Junior High. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We don't have all this five stars, this and that. We just try to pick our guys from there. But the further you go, the more it becomes about who did you draft and who did you, who did who, who did you end up picking or whatever. Where we we really have to make it happen at our level. And if you're not making it let happen as a coach, it's just not going to happen. And and people that think like, well, I just I'm going to wait until somebody good shows up. You have to make somebody good show up by what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. What what do you do in a a situation? You know, you said you're down to you were down to twelve boys this year. Uh, you know, there's got to be a balance between how you build up the numbers, but then also when all you can find is twelve committed. You know, how do you build from there? Is that something that that you you concern yourself with at this point, or? No, I definitely, I'm definitely concerned, and, right. and definitely it's always difficult when it's hard to find a number of kids that are really committed to the process, because unless you have those kids, and otherwise, like, for example, uh, after this year, I have no seniors. I won't have a senior next year that I'll have two seniors, but I don't have any seniors that could make it happen, so to speak. Right. And so that's where you're, you're left with a big hole. And in a school like Lockhart, that's a difficult thing to overcome. You're going to have to do it with sophomores, freshmen, or juniors. And so, I, I you know, I think we, we can find five that are younger, but you're asking younger kids to do what really it's, it's almost impossible to be great until you're at least juniors or seniors on the boys' side. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely correct. Uh, no doubt about it. I've, I've seen that a lot, especially uh, – especially at that larger school level. You're very dependent on having, you know, well-seasoned juniors and seniors to help carry you along the way if you're going to end up in some of the positions that you have ended up in in a place like Lockhart. You know, or or Bernie or any of those. Yeah, you're just going to do the best you can with what you got. Right. And, um, again, it's, it's interesting. If you took a coach... Like, like my, if you take myself over a 30-year period, and I guess I'm at the end of 32 years, the number of guys it took to be great is really only about two kids per grade, maybe three. So if, if I have a great freshman, I've got – he's one of my five for four years. So I've got two great freshmen, a great sophomore. A great sophomore is a guy that I have for three years. So of the five, I'm, I'm only needing – Literally, the number of guys that have made us great over 32 years is literally less than 32. There have been less than 32 great guys. In fact, um, I want to say, you know, like I think 12 or 13 guys have broken 420 and probably, uh, yeah, it's something like, you know, maybe 40 guys have broken 430. So you're only talking 40 kids over 30 years right 
to, to keep the whole thing going. But you always have the mercy of finding the next guy and the next guy. And there may be a class where there's just nothing. There isn't that guy. Or even if there is, they're not interested in doing what you're doing. Right. Yeah. That, that's really super frustrating. Yes, it is. If you find yourself enjoying this episode of the Tail Lights Podcast, please take the opportunity to rate us five stars and write a review if you can. You were saying that it's really hard to find that guy. Sometimes maybe they're not there. They're not interested in what you're doing. Or So this year, for example, I can tell you I had three tremendous seniors. Uh, they all were in the, the low 16s for 5K. They, uh, two of them have run 419, 422. The other guy, 430s. Uh, all of them are quality distance runners, high quality kids, top students. But there were four more guys in our school who could have been as good as they are who elected to do other things or not run. Right. One basketball, two soccer, and one drama. And so those, had I had those four guys with these three, we, we might have been talking a totally different outcome at the regional meet and the state meet. But again, certain people will latch onto it and certain people will, are not gonna be willing to make that commitment. And sadly, sometimes the kid that wants to make the commitment is not the guy that's really good and the guy that doesn't make the commitment is the guy that really would have had the talent. And you know, when you've done this 30 years, you know the difference. Yeah, yeah, and that, that happens. Um, you know, I, I just finished my second, or I'm finishing my second year there at Friendswood and you know, when I, I think when I was in Ozona, I thought, oh, you know, they, they, they've got it all there. And that is part of the problem. They've got it all there. They've got uh, every activity imaginable for kids. And you find yourself competing against things you didn't even mm-hmm. know existed in high schools. And, and I would say that that has been the greatest challenge I've faced in, in coming up to a bigger, you know, wealthier type uh, school district as compared with working in a much smaller, uh, poorer ones. The, those kids in Ozona were glad to come to a place I feel like that where somebody really cared about them, you know. Um, and that's not to say that their parents didn't care about them, but as a teenager, you're looking for sources outside of your parents, you know. And some of them didn't have, uh, you know, the full fledged family uh, situation that would, of course, be ideal, as you mentioned, you know, in, in that position. And then you have a lot of parent involvement in a place like Friendswood. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's it's give and take. It's uh, one of the guys I'm getting ready to interview is the transportation director over at Hutto, and he was an assistant principal in Bernie years ago. And he said uh, to me one time when I was complaining about a situation as a kid, you know, um, he said we can stand over here in this grass and and talk about how much greener the elementary school across the ways is, but then we walk over there and we find out they have ant piles everywhere, <laughs> and we don't have ant piles here. <laughs> they don't like this area. I don't know why, but he said, you go over there and look. And I, and that's always stuck with me. What he, what he told me that day. And, and sure enough, you know, whether, whether I look at the, the lack of grass that's in Ozona or sometimes the, the various ant piles that exist. And I don't say ant piles in a bad way. I mean, it's just, you are competing with so many different things. Like I, I as I said, I never even knew existed in a school and so it's a whole nother, a whole new challenge, and um, I, I, uh, 
I kind of lost my train of thought there from I was trying to build on something you were saying and I think I got too sidetracked but uh yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyhow um let's see here where can we go from here um is there is there anything you want to mention um you know i know for example like you got to coach your own, own son and i always have guests talk a little bit about what their family has meant to their career but is there anything that you want to mention before we go into that portion uh, anything else uh, as far as co coaching my own son or what well, yeah just that uh, well um I, we'll, we'll go to the family portion last um but uh is there anything okay. else that you want to mention about the the time in lockhart there you know anything you'd like to you may uh to me the most um the thing that's been the most rewarding is being a part of the community uh i i feel like i've i've uh just because I put myself out there, I, I know community members, uh, school board members, people like that. I, to me, that's been the, it's not just been about winning races. It's been about building kids and making it a better community. And, you know, Lockhart, um, the town itself has embraced what we've done and they're grateful. And um, I, I just feel like I was very fortunate because um, nobody sets out with a plan when they're 24 years old of how it's all going to turn out. <laughs> it, it, it never goes the way they think it's going to go. And so, you know, in the end, we're all just trying to, you know, put food on the table and, and provide, a, uh, <clears throat> provide a living for your family, so to speak. And so uh, I, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to do it in a place like that and make a difference in kids' lives and, you um, Hopefully for a few more years, they'll do the same. Yeah, I think they will. And, and you know, that's one of the things as I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years and stuff, the, the perception that I had, you know, being young and just seeing you coaching this group that was so good and, and intimidated us uh, when, when I was a younger guy, I thought, man, that guy's got to be one of the yeah, – because you were, you were hard on your kids, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, but when you don't know the person and, and you see like that someone is, is, uh, is very serious about their business, you can create a false perception in your head. One of the things I've really learned about you is just how caring you are. I mean, what you said about 9-11 back in 01 and how, how you felt. And that's so far away from us. I don't know if you had any family involved in it or anything, so I hope I'm not being insensitive with that remark. But it's so far away <laughs> from, from us that it probably wouldn't trouble uh, a, a lot of people passed, you know, uh, you know, a few weeks or so. I mean, you, of course, it was on TV over and over and over, and it was a horrible event, you know, for anybody that lived through it. But, I mean, it, the, the fact that you can pinpoint just how much that impacted you, and if I had been your age at the time, it might have impacted me more too, but I just thought it was crazy at the time. I'd never been to New York City. I didn't even really know what was going on. You know, I just saw these two buildings on fire. You know, but that 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 perception that um, that you know, I, I don't know, has completely been replaced over time with what a caring, good guy you are. So I appreciate knowing you a great deal. Well, the thing is, um, when when the person that you are when you're at the meet and trying to compete is not necessarily the person you are away from the the meet, so to speak. Right. And with kids, I'm just 
you know, I'm demanding in the sense I want to get the best out of them, but that's only because I care about them. Right. I, I care about them deeply and I want them to have success. And if we're going to make this investment, let's be great at it. Let's not just do it halfway. And I, so I'm sure to people that, you know, that are competing against this, they, they may have that perception that you thought you had. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is once they, so um, I coach right now with the guy that ran at Uvalde. Uvalde was one of those first teams in our region to try to become Lockhart, so to speak. Yeah. And you know, now I've coached with him ten years, and and he still likes to go back to how he, he thought of us before, and now how he sees us now. And he knows he 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 gets it. He, he at the time he was like you. He thought like, oh, we're like we're all we were is when we go to the meet, we're trying to compete. But when we're done with that, we're trying to make kids the best kids they can be, and and so forth. So I can see how people do get the wrong impression if they've never really spent any time with us. But the moment they do, they automatically know like, oh, I get what they're about. Yeah. Yeah. No question about it. No question about it. I mean, and you're carrying remarks about Lockhart and the community and everything. I mean, it just, it, it goes farther than the 9-11 comments. I mean, I just wrapped all that stuff into one deal and, and, uh, you know, for people that, um, are over here in the area where I'm at, you know, Southeast Houston, we had a meet canceled and the the best option that I could find was a meet I had already canceled our attendance at, which was your meet. And I said, Coach Hippett still, I'm sorry, my, my our meet got canceled. Is there any way you can let us come run? You know, we had to leave Friendswood at 4.30 in the morning uh, or maybe even earlier than that. It might have been four in the morning. And, uh, you know, it was quite a haul uh, there and back in the bus and everything. And and but as nice as you were, you said, come on down, you know, like like uh, really appreciate that. And uh, you're welcome. One of the one of the last things I like to ask guests here is is tell me a little bit about what your family has meant to your career. You've had the uh, fortunate position of being able to coach your own son, uh, some I know, and so I, I would like to give you an opportunity to tell some of our listeners about your family. Uh, so um, my, my wife is, you know, the bedrock of what we do, and um, one of the reasons I've been in Lockhart all these years is because my wife's worked in Austin all these years, and so it was convenient for both of us to go to the you know place we did and so we certainly because of her job weren't going to be moving somewhere else and so her her having a consistent job and i had a consistent job and vice versa um coaching my son uh had to be the most rewarding thing that ever happened to me because when when um you know you make a decision to put your son through a school district you're completely invested in the district you're completely invested in the school being the best school it can be you know every every discipline issue matters to you because you want your son to be at a great place uh i never had more uh passion for coaching than the four years when he was in high school um, at one moment, we got up to literally 41 kids running while he was there, and part of it was because he was helping me recruit. Um, and just because the relationship that I had with my son's friends will never be the same again because many of those kids I knew when they were kindergartners and first graders and second graders. And so when, when the other seven boys who were seniors graduated my son who were distance runners, uh, it was like graduating seven of your own sons, 
you know, like literally I spent so much time and invested so much time in those guys. We, uh, through the, through my high my son's high school years, we met every morning. Uh, my son and I would leave home at five in the morning to five 15. We'd get there by five 30 to five 45 practice started at 6 AM in the dark. Um, do four years for that. And our investment was wonderful. And so it was the greatest, um, moment of time that I ever had coaching. And, uh, I, I'm still reaping the benefits of that because the kids are still two years younger. They remember my son being there and they remember that, you know, and so they, they still have that, but pretty soon it's just going to be coaching kids again, like it was before he came here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, an amazing career. I'm glad it's still continuing. It's an absolute benefit for the people in Lockhart there that it is still going. Um, you know, the, uh, the, what is the term they use when I was on the school board? If you lost the superintendent, the cost uh, above replacement or something like that. I imagine that, <laughs> that, uh, the cost, um, well, and you, I know you said you got a guy from yeah, Uvalde that's an assistant and you know, you've helped embed a, a rich running tradition, much like coach Fulkerson did in Bernie. And I'm sure, oh, yeah. I'm sure someone will flock to, uh, Lockhart if nothing else for the, for the great barbecue that I mentioned earlier. I mean, there's uh, if you're a, a distance coach that likes barbecue, you'd really be doing yourself wrong if, if you weren't interested someday when you do decide to, to hang it up. I mean, great tradition and great location and and, you know, not without its challenges. It's got its ant piles like any other place, I'm sure, or, you know, whatever is in the lawn out there. But but um, you've you've seemed to navigate them over the years and, and produce a lot of great moments for kids that they'll remember their whole lives into adulthood. So. Well, and uh, one thing we haven't mentioned at all, but I thought you might have asked about earlier was, you know, Luling and Lockhart are only 14 miles apart. Yeah. And to, for us to be 14 miles apart, and basically Mike and I could coach in, in different leagues, so to speak, 3A, 4A, whatever, 3A, 5A, over the, over the years, only 14 miles apart was a real benefit for me and uh, hopefully for him too because um, it gave us um, – a benchmark, you know, just miles down the road to, to always use as a gauge. How good are they doing? How good are we doing? We never saw each other. At least I don't. I don't see them as a rival. I saw them as somebody that just made us better, and uh, we are fortunate to um, have a friendship and mm-hmm. and to have two running programs side by side like that over 30 years was really uh, just remarkable. And and again, I I give a lot of our success to the fact that we just had somebody down the road who was really good too. And, and we could tell our guys, you know, they're working hard and this team's working hard. We're going to practice, you know, we did it different ways. We went, we went about it very differently, but in the same, in the end, you know, we, we both got results and that's really what matters. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, it's one of the things that we concluded our interview with uh, the other day was, you know, a lot of the kids in, in Luling, um, what, I, what I said, I believe, was that they may not have all they need, but that's never going to stop them from giving all they have. And, and I think that that's, that's probably also very true with, uh, with the Lockhart kids and stuff, too. You, you know, people don't realize it a lot of the time, but just because you're poor, you, well, you have to work really hard to be poor. 
you know, a lot of the times because otherwise, yeah. uh, you know, you can be worse than poor. And and a lot of the the kids that come from those homes, I mean, it was similar in Ozona as well. They're coming out of, uh, you know, trailers and stuff that, I mean, it, it was a big shock for me, you know, coming from Bernie. If I hadn't lived in Bay City till I was 12, I think I'd have been, um, I, I don't know that I could have felt comfortable enough to go to that place. But to me, uh, it was a very comfortable place. I knew those kids needed help, and and I was I was glad to be there, you know, to to help provide that. But that's the thing; those kids, they know, they see a, a mom sometimes that works, you know, at the gas station all day, and then the restaurant at night. I mean, and that's that's uh, they get that work ethic, honestly. Yeah. So yes, there's no doubt. Work ethic is a, a huge part of success. Yeah, you, you, you have to have it. No doubt about it. Well, I wish you all the luck going forward. And if you ever think of anything, you know, a story that you maybe missed out on that you want to come back to, and you know, you just let me know. <laughs> I hope your son enjoys this and your wife enjoys this, and and wish you all the luck, man. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, I, I wish you success too. I know in, in your future endeavors. And so um, hopefully we'll see each other down the road. I appreciate this. I believe we will take care, buddy. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. And please remember if you could to go and rate us five stars on Apple podcasts until next time.